This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Chloe Henay is the founder of Willow and Burt Interiors. Chloe is an interior designer and soft furnishings consultant who also creates bespoke, beautiful, handcrafted curtains, blinds, cushions and other soft furnishings which are always finished with a Willow and Burt signature flourish. I absolutely love talking to Chloe. She's the first guest I've had on who, what she offers is, I, I would describe it as a product and a service all in one. Um, I was fascinated by that. Um, I don't know much about the world of design and interior design, particularly um it was a really interesting conversation and i really hope that you um also find it enjoyable you learn from it and you're inspired too so i'd love now to introduce you to chloe so hi chloe thank you so much for being here not at all it's really nice to talk to you vicky so can we please start with you give an introduction to yourself and your business please Yes, of course. Hi there. I'm Chloe and I live in Edenbridge in Kent um, with my husband and five children. Um, We are part of a big, crazy, blended family. And um, it's fair to say life is quite chaotic with five teenagers in the house. So um, Willow and Bert started about eight years ago and it really grew um, from a passion that I've always had for interior design or interiors. Um, As a child, I watched my parents doing up various houses um, and enjoyed kind of looking and seeing what they were doing. And it it was always quite fun when the builders were in and things were moving around. Um, I also remember going to kind of antiques fairs with my family as well and looking for things. And my parents always used to have lots of kind of coffee table books, which I remember sort of weekend mornings flicking through and just kind of wondering how it all came together and, and, and how houses became the homes that they are. So I've always had that long held interest. I think my big passion as well as a child was the Laura Ashley catalogue. And I would spend hours planning how I wanted every room in my, you know, my future house to be. Um, there isn't any Laura Ashley stuff in my house, I have to say, but I think it definitely planted a seed inside me at a very young age in terms of interior design and looking at how things hang together in the home. Amazing. So can you please um, let, tell us, well, first of all, maybe when you started Willow and Bear, and then just give us a really quick, brief summary of what it is that you do, please. Yeah, sure. So um, the, the, the business, um, as I said, started about eight years ago and it's evolved um, very, very quickly. Um, and I would say that when we initially st- when I initially started the business, I um, had a partner at that point. At the moment, it's, it's just me. But we were sing- solely making curtains and blinds and soft furnishings. And that was great. It was really rewarding. It was great to work alongside someone at that, at that 
point in time. Um, and the business, as I say, evolved quite quickly. And it became clear to me when I was talking to people and visiting them in their houses that actually they didn't just want one blind, some cushions, a curtain, a headboard. They actually wanted a bit more. It's actually how how to how the rooms could hang together. And so the interior design side of the business has grown um, probably more so over the five, six years. And that's been hugely enjoyable, just kind of branching out in a slightly different direction from how I originally envisaged the business growing, I would say. Oh, that's amazing. So originally you were making everything yourself. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So that was that was brilliant. I always wanted to do something creative. I had a former former career in the city um, and then subsequently married and had kids and it just wasn't going to be feasible to continue continue that but I was always really keen to do something creative and at the time we were also doing up our own house as well so it was it was really enjoyable to to kind of think about how to do that and I'm yes originally um my I started out making all the items myself which was which was great really rewarding and a really um good creative outlet um it then became evident to me that there was more work coming in that I could really keep up with and a few things happened I moved house I didn't have room for a workshop in my house anymore, um, which meant it was kind of a challenge just to fulfill the work. And unfortunately, at the same time, I developed um, tennis elbow in my right hand and actually right arm rather, and it actually became quite difficult to even thread a needle at that time. So I had to start to look elsewhere. So the business, the quantity of work coming in was growing and I couldn't really keep up. So I started to look elsewhere to find support from other makers. And that's how I suppose I've been able to grow the business um, quite quickly by having other people to support me. And, and again, that's been really nice as well, because I've then been able to have a team alongside me and it feels a bit more, more of a collegiate approach, which I have to say I really enjoy. And I miss that from my old life working in the city. Oh, so that's amazing. So that's something I wasn't actually aware of. So you now have people, makers supporting you to kind of make the things that you're designing for your clients. Is that the right way of saying it? So, yes, it's really enjoyable having having a team of people behind you and knowing that they're working hard to fulfill your brief and your vision for a client. Um, it's, it's, it's worked really well and I've enjoyed working alongside lots of different different specialists in their field. So upholsterers, um, people who are very good at making headboards or specific types of curtain. There's a lot of expertise out there and it's been really enjoyable to, to work with other people. Yeah, and I guess it also has meant that you can expand on what you're able to offer your clients because presumably you couldn't make all of those things yourself. So, yes, it's been good to work alongside other people and not to have all the mess contained in my own house because um, upholstery is a quite a, a dirty, messy business and certainly with curtain and blind making as well, there's a lot of um, a lot of materials required, a lot of fluff that floats around. And when that's not just all kind of coming to rest in your own home, it's nice that it's outside in an external place and you can shut the door and work at the end of the day and just enjoy being in your own in your own home. That makes it, you know, I never thought about it being dirty and messy before, but I yeah. guess, yeah, there's lots of bits, I guess there's lots of thread and yeah, oh, like you say, stuffing yeah. and things floating around. All sorts of gubbins and it would be, I couldn't tell you the, the nasty surprises you sometimes find on the back of a sofa. So um, yeah, it's good to have that away from the home, I have to say, it makes a difference. Yeah, that makes, oh, I didn't even think about that. So of course, so you wear re-upholstering furniture as well. Yeah, yeah, I started um, my sort of, I suppose when the, it, this whole I hate to say the word journey, but the whole journey started for me back in 2007, um, just after my daughter was born. And I was really keen to, while I was on maternity leave, I was really keen to do something creative. 
that would get me out of the house once a week for a couple of hours and just fulfill that need to do something for myself a little bit whilst in the throes of early motherhood. So I started doing um, adult education upholstery course in Tunbridge Wells once a week, which I absolutely loved. It was just brilliant being immersed in this sort of slightly kooky underground world of older ladies, shall we say, who were just having a lovely time together and, and you know, having fun. Um, so from there, the kind of the passion grew. And then I realised that actually I wanted to do more than just upholstery. And so that's when I continued my studies with, um, with a City and Guilds diploma and then also looked into the curtain of blind making. Um, and so kind of expanded my, my knowledge that way. Yeah, it's all really fairly recent then, isn't it, that you've been doing? I mean, I know from what you said earlier, you've obviously had an interest in interiors for a long time, but I guess you're actually sort of learning how to make it yourself is is still fairly recent. Yeah, I suppose um, it feels recent to me, but I have to say I started just after my daughter was born and she's approaching 15. So actually, when I look back on it on that in that sense, it does. It feels like I've been going for a long time. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's something that I, I, I really enjoy and I feel really lucky that I'm able to do it. I've been able to always work at, in this field since the children were really small and it's really rewarding and it fits in um, around them. It's, it, it's the key part of it all, I think. And now that you've sort of changed your business slightly and you have other people working with you, are you missing the sort of hands-on side or not so Massively, much? massively. Um, it, that, that's exactly where I wanted to start. That's exactly why I started. And um, I still do small bits of, small bits of sewing and, uh, and I, I love that. I love the chance to kind of get everything, you know, get all the tools out again and make a bit of a mess um, and try and keep it contained into one, one room at home now. Um, but yeah, it, it's, that's the part I miss. So I suppose the making, the making things was one part of the creative process and the, uh, the other part now, which is fulfilled through the interior design, is putting together schemes and plans for clients. And so I suppose I get my, my fix in that sense, but I do miss actually kind of threading, threading a needle and pinning fabric and, and, and looking at how, you know, how it all needs to lie and, and smoothing things out and that kind of thing. I do miss that. I kind of feel like I've been able to um, expand the business into a direction which is as fulfilling even if I can't make any longer because unfortunately I still have to have um, have tennis elbow so it's a bit boring in that sense I think that makes perfect sense and as you said I think it's a really good business decision because something I think that lots of makers come up against is you only have so many hours in the day or the Mm. week or whatever it is and so there comes a limit to what you can actually produce yourself so I think business-wise it does make total sense but I can also see how you would really miss being so hands-on the creative fix yes it definitely it definitely means that I've been able to scale the business up in terms of volume um as I said my 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 family life is quite crazy with with seven of us and um and it does it does take up a lot of time running at running a house and a, and a family of seven at times so actually the way that it works now it fits in with the family I'm, I'm quite adept at the early morning start or the late finish or I try not to work too much at weekends but certainly evenings um I do often need to put the hours in so it, it fits in well with family life I'm here when I need to be obviously completely focused but also my, I'm able to, to to quickly duck into work mode if I need to as well yeah that, that makes sense so one of the reasons um I was so interested in talking to you Chloe is that what you offer is I guess both a product and a service or I guess more of a service but it's a service and a product isn't it um because I was really fascinated by that so would you mind talking a little bit about what it is that you offer so if I came to you and said oh I'd like my um 
my room designing um as you can probably tell I've never worked with an interior designer <laughs> but let's say I came to you and said I'd like this room designing what what's the process you go for just give people an idea of how it all ties together that'd be great yeah so I think the key thing is always um it's always I'm always keen to know how how someone finds me if it's word of mouth if it's any of the advertising that we do if it's social media so that's often a part of it and um, the main thing I'm always really keen to do is to try and meet a client face to face, ideally as soon as possible. And that makes a huge difference. Sometimes when clients approach me just by email and they want to quote for this and here are some measurements, it's very, very difficult to convey what we do and the processes and talk through the nuances, obviously, of their space, especially if they're just sending through a few photographs. So I do find that the key thing is to try and get a meeting in the diary as quickly as possible with the client and go out and visit them and have a look at the space. Um, I'll then take a set of measurements um, and photographs as long as they're happy with me to take photographs, which generally everyone is. And then the key thing is then just to put together an estimate of what um, what it is that they are asking for and what it is that I can, you know, how I'm going to fulfill that brief. Um, it's always nice as well during that first meeting to sit and chat through what a client's tastes are, what the colours are that they like, the patterns they like, dislike. Um, look at the rest of the room, the other furniture, other paintings, the flooring. Um, key thing as well is to look at where the light is coming in from the room and where that where that sort of falls um, in the space that you're looking to to help furnish. So there's lots of things which I suppose I'm thinking about when I'm in a room talking to a client that they won't necessarily know, um, but I'm kind of gathering as much information as possible. Um, and if the meeting is going well and it looks like it's going to be a positive outcome, I'll often ask a client then to fill in a, a, a briefing document which gives me a really good steer on their likes and dislikes because it's very hard when you go into someone's house in the first instance to necessarily know you know why they've chosen certain colors or why they haven't chosen certain colors and pattern as well so it really helps to build up a clear picture of, of what that client likes and dislikes and I think that's really important and so the other thing I guess it's really really key is to know if you're going to when you do meet them is to know if you're going to get on um I work with a, a great curtain fitter who always says to me just, Chloe just listen to your inner voice and if the feeling is that we're not going to get on um as a as a you know a designer and client then I do try really hard to make sure that you know that's not the case but sometimes you just don't gel with everybody and I think I've come to learn over the last eight years or so that actually sometimes I'm not the right fit for someone or they might not be the right fit for me or maybe even I just can't meet their deadlines sometimes clients do have tight deadlines so I think that first meeting is key and it's, it's good about being honest um, with yourself and with the client but usually it's a really easy process and once I've sent through an estimate and the client will get back in touch and sort of say yes or no and then we'll go from there we'll start looking at fabrics and scoping out the project um, and it becomes obviously it's a two-way street I don't try and impose any particular style or, or, or kind of preferences that I have um, on, on a client obviously it's not my space I don't live in it but I do try and guide clients um, with sort of sensible decisions and explain the nuances of some of the things that I'm sort of suggesting um, and hopefully then we can you know we, we start to create a space that is going to add value to their home and that they're going to want to spend time in. Yep that's brilliant thank you for explaining that and uh, so why are you looking at say if you're looking at a room so why are you looking from everything to the colours on the wall or the paper on the wall to the flooring to the furniture um, I guess it depends on the scope because I suppose some people might already have lovely flooring they want to keep but in theory are you looking at a room overall and suggesting all of the elements that go into it? 
it depends um definitely that's part of what I'm absorbing when I walk into a space for the first time I'm even if they're not asking me for ideas about carpet or or, or lights or lamps or anything like that or sorry lampshades um I'm, I'm still absorbing kind of what it is they've got in their room and then as the conversation goes on I'll ask them if they're you know what they want to keep what they want to take out sometimes we're guided by a particular painting or a piece of furniture so it is key to kind of look at the space and what they've got um in terms of in terms of the actual kind of clients and how they work a lot of them I've sort of I suppose I've segregated my clients into three different types and um it's it's interesting kind of to 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 do that because it helps sort of focus the mind and understand and really listen to what they want and I kind of the first the first type of client I would say I've got is when I go and visit someone and they know they know exactly what they want and they know how they want to do it or they, they know how they want me to do it I should say and it's just it's a very simple straightforward process they just want help with the execution and also encouragement you know they've, they've built a Pinterest board and they've got some ideas and they just want you know someone else to say yes that's going to work because of these reasons so that's kind of one one key client type the second type, I'd say, are clients who have ideas, but they're not quite sure how to do it or will it work or is it a bad idea because of X, Y, Z. And so, um, you know, we'll then start building, building a picture and, and sort of putting all those ideas together in a mood board or looking at samples and just working out exactly, am I going to be able to deliver the vision that's in their, in their head? And then I'd say that the kind of the third type of clients I've got um, kind of know nothing and they're not really interested in interior design, but they know that they live, you know, they have a home and they want that home to be comfortable and they want that home to be practical and to work for all members of the household. So, but they just don't know how to do it. So they're keen to kind of hand over the project and they're generally, as I'd say, most of my clients are very open to ideas. And so it's, it's nice to have sort of three different types of clients and, and, and go from there. Um, in terms of which direction anyone wants to pursue yeah thank you for explaining it because I know there must be so many nuances there's never going to be just a black and white answer as there probably isn't going to be to my next question so I'm really curious about so obviously you mentioned that you work with lots of different makers so I'm really curious as to whether um so the things you suggest the clients use so is it all um bespoke pieces that you work with makers to create so cushions and curtains or are you also looking at things that you can source from other places I'm just genuinely curious Mm. about how that all works because it's I guess it's such a a project isn't it to yeah how everything in the room comes together absolutely and it's a minefield and of course the other thing you've got to be careful about and be guided by is the client's budget um you know sometimes clients can be quite kind of Um, shocked I guess by the cost of bespoke curtains and blinds but then when you explain the difference and you show them the difference in terms of quality of of the work that we're delivering or hoping to deliver they understand exactly what it is they're going to get for and it's not um, a sort of one size fits all from any number of high street um, retailers not that I'm slagging off high street retailers but in terms of sourcing items um, we do a mixture so I work with other lighting companies and 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 we'll buy lighting in from them but we might then personalise that that lamp base with a with a lampshade and a fabric that works better for the client's room and matches the curtains, for instance, in some way or complements the curtains, I should say, in some way. So I think it's really important just to always understand what the client's budget is, to look at where they want to spend money and to 
um, look at what could be reused as well from within the room. Sometimes, you know, it's a case of just repainting something or changing changing handles, or repositioning actually furniture within a room makes a big difference. And also potentially changing the lighting. If you light a painting really well, then that can kind of completely change it's the perception in, in the room. So I would say that um, there's a variety in terms of what we do. It's not um, it's not always bespoke. We're happy to kind of source clients, um, sorry, clients' cushions from a number of places. But equally, there is, you know, if you if you have a set of cushions made, which are the fabric that you've chosen with a trim that you've chosen, they're completely unique to you. And a lot of the clients that I have, they want that. They want something that's completely unique to them and to their room. And that's what will make their home perfect for them. Thank you for explaining that. And it's so interesting, I, I think, and because I guess you when you talk about the products side of your business, I guess there are those two elements to it. So there's what I guess you're designing to actually create, I want to say from scratch, maybe not from scratch, but maybe you're looking at a chair and thinking, oh, we could upholster it like this, for example. Mm. And then there's, you know, thinking about the things that you can potentially things that already exist that you can source or, may, or maybe modify, as you said, there's a, there's a lot involved. There is a lot involved. And also it can be quite a lengthy process as well. So I think sometimes, well, one of the first questions I always ask clients is, you know, what are you, what are your timescales for this? You know, have you got a deadline? Um, are we, are we trying to deliver this within some kind of crazy, crazy timescale? And it's always a delight when someone says, no, I'm quite relaxed. You know, this is something I want to start in the autumn or, you know that, that there isn't quite a, such a some time sensitive issue and I've got a project on at the moment um and it's on a very tight time scale and it's been a bit kind of you know um harem scarum but it's also been really enjoyable because we've made quick decisions the client's very decisive and it's been really enjoyable so there's a good balance I think in terms of how things how things work um oh I was gonna say something else and I can't think what it was oh. don't worry it sounds like you need a lot of project management skills yes. to do yes exactly do there's a, a lot of project management skills are required and also an endless supply of post-it notes and my to-do list never really sort of seems to get any less but that's kind of that's the way I work best I think with a with a never-ending to-do list and I think the other thing that's um obviously had an impact and it would be strange not to mention it but is obviously is COVID as well so the last two years have, have, have had a real impact you know work um, was busy before we went into lockdown and it has absolutely continued which is fantastic but interestingly now we're seeing more issues with supply of fabric supply of of items that we've ordered for clients houses and actually it started to get more frustrating kind of 18 months two years down the line in terms of deliverables than it was when we first started so it's um it's a constant state of kind of negotiation and communication um, with suppliers and clients to keep um, everything on track and I think also talking back to your point about timescales um, this is also a, 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 an industry where people want to have things in place by certain certain times so for instance Christmas um, is always or the run-up to Christmas you know we all know how, how busy that is for anyone um, trying to juggle work and a family and all, all of that but in, I would say in the interior design world it is usually pretty manic from about September onwards um, so yes any clients who want anything please start thinking about it now um, because we do put this pressure on ourselves to have these perfect houses for the, for the you know the, the Christmas period but my word it can be difficult to, to to make that happen without plenty of planning beforehand. 
Yeah, I can imagine. And thank you for bringing up COVID as well, because that's something that in a way we sort of I almost feel like we've started to move on from it. But actually, mm. as you say, that, that the impact is still there. And I know that there's a global shortage of just so many things at the moment, um, which I think is impacting lots of people. Out of interest, though, were you able to still continue during COVID or did you have to adapt how you worked? Um, I think I was really lucky. We had quite a few projects underway and um, had some some clients who were happy to continue. Obviously, we we were on Zoom quite a lot and phone calls a lot more, I suppose, as opposed to site visits. Um, and really, work. What I would say that my work wasn't affected. The quantity of work went up, and that was great. But I think because because materials were still available, we were able to keep getting items made. And we obviously were very careful with any site visits that we did once we were allowed to start doing site visits. You know, after the initial first few months. Um, so I'd say it hasn't. It didn't really have an impact. Um, but I think what has happened now is that COVID gets the blame for a lot of things. Even though you know we're out of it, we don't have any lockdowns. You know anymore I think the delays that the delays that we've incurred they're now an excuse for kind of things taking longer than they should do and obviously energy prices are pushing the the cost of materials up in production so we're unfortunately a lot of um, my costings have had to go up slightly because we've got to pass all of those those um, those surcharges on so it's been a little bit frustrating in that sense and obviously the other thing that I think um, has become a struggle sometimes is, is also courier companies as well you know we all know how hard push they are to deliver and I think that's something that we've been at the mercy at for the last few years because of COVID so I guess it's being understanding where you can but also wanting to keep everything um, on track as much as possible. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think as well, this is possibly an advantage of working with sort of smaller makers rather than perhaps large, because I'm I'm under the impression, tell me if I'm wrong, Chloe, you're working with individual makers in most instances rather than big factories, because I guess those people were able to still keep going. Yeah, that's the case. So we work with a, work with a few a few suppliers in big factories, and obviously they largely shut down and they shut down for longer. Um, but I think they they did pivot quite quickly. Some of the fabric companies when they realised obviously people still wanted to place orders and were able to that still happened. But I'd say a large percentage of the people that I work with are yes people who are who are working at home. So you know they were they were fortunate in that sense as was I that they were able to still continue with work and just about able to juggle that into um, family life. With with, with with homeschooling so yeah not not a lot of fun I would say for for most people but no but we got that, through it yeah and good that everyone could keep keep going as well to some extent yeah um, and out of interest if you don't mind me asking while we while we're talking about this how did you um pull together your network of, of people of makers to work with it's um it's well I suppose it's it's kind of never ending because um businesses change and people might decide that they don't want to um they don't want to work with others not for any you know dramatic reasons but just because their own their own timings change or whatever um so I guess it's a it's a it's a case of kind of constantly networking and trying to find people who can help and who are willing to help and who you get along with um that would that I'd say is a key thing um I have been a part of um various networking groups in the past and that's been a really good way of finding support and help um through kind of virtual you know virtual assistance or you know a new upholsterer that kind of thing um 
or photographers for projects or anyone to help with social media. So I think it's just been I've been lucky in the sense that social media has provided the answer to a lot of a lot of the problems I've faced in terms of finding support, which I think when you're a small business and you've got to be jack of all trades um you've you've really got to work hard to find the people who will support you and who you get along with and who understand you so I would say that it is, it is a constant process of making sure you've got the right team around you and you're supporting them and giving them the information they need to then help you in return yeah thank you for that and I hope you don't mind me asking I I just it just occurred to me that you're possibly the first person that I've spoken to on the podcast who started out purely not started out doing the making yourself but now have a team to support you um I don't think I'd spoke to anyone else in that position which is why I wanted to ask the question um for anyone listening who thinks well maybe I could have someone you know helping me with whatever it whatever it is because I think sometimes when you run a small business and I have definitely been guilty of this you get into the mindset of you know you're you're the person who does it all yeah um and I think a lot of us can, can spend a long time in that space of just thinking that you have to do the making and the admin and the social definitely. media and all the other things. Yeah, definitely. And it's really hard, I think, as well to delegate because when you're self-employed, it is it's everything. And I remember as a child, I I had this both my, my parents were self-employed and I really, really, really didn't want to be self-employed because I could see how stressful it was, how hard they had to work um, and how stressful it was at times. And I was adamant, absolutely adamant that it wasn't something I was going to do. And to now be doing it, um, I sort of slightly look at myself and think, oh, crumbs, why am I in this situation? But it works really well in terms of family life and and the logistical challenges of my life so I think it is one of the things you do end up having to realize that if you're going to have a product and also you've got a service then or any kind of small business as well you've got to realize that you that help is out there and just for the business to succeed for people to buy your product or want to use your service you can't still be solely responsible for all your Instagram or all your social media or all your invoicing or all the ordering, all the admin that goes on behind the scenes. It's, you've got to start to ask for help. And I think that was a really big um, realisation for me that I, I cannot do it all, especially um, as I've alluded to with my family life as well. It's, it, it needs something has to give and asking for help is, is really important. And also, I think then working alongside other people who are helping you, it gives you input. They have ideas and they are passionate about what you do as well. Um, so I think that's been a really enjoyable part of the last few years as the business has grown, is actually has has actually been delegating to other people and, and understanding, you know, what goes on in, in the outside world. It's not just my own little silo that I sit in day in, day out. Yeah, that makes total sense. Thank you. And I think as as well as you've alluded to, I guess, if you have a business where that is, you know, as yours is, which is a service and a product, you know, you have you offer both. Um, I guess there comes a point where you physically cannot be the person doing both if you want to expand yeah. beyond a, a certain point. Definitely, hundred percent. They just out. There just aren't enough hours in the day, and you know, weekends are there to have a break in the working week. So it's yeah, it's 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 so important to stop. I would say. Absolutely. So I have one final question, Chloe, if that's okay, and it's a question mm. I ask all of my guests, which is, what is your number one piece of advice for other product creators? Okay, well, I I had a hunch this question might be coming up, so I did have a th- I did have a think about it, and um. 
I'm not very good at just sticking to a rule. And so I've actually probably got about sort of three or four bits of advice. And so I'm hoping I'm allowed to share those because I think it's, I've had some really valuable learnings on this, on this kind of, oh, I hate the word journey, but that's what I'm on. So I think the key thing I would say is to know your customer. And when you go and visit them, take the time to listen to them and what they're asking of you why that why have they approached you and there must be something there that, that you've done that they like or that they've sorry there must be something there that they've they've heard or they've seen of you so I think it's always good to kind of ask the question and reassure them that you can still provide that same level of service and expertise for them um the I suppose the second thing we talked about a little bit is um as a small business you are reliant upon suppliers and this this is really hard and I think it's really good to ensure that you've got the pe the right people around you and that you are working with them and with their time scales as well it's quite difficult you know you're not going to make any friends if you're demanding about people fulfilling your time scales you've got to it's got to be some flex in the world and i think that's really been really important for me so um knowing knowing who's helping you and looking after them is a really good is a really good um sort of Thing to have in the back of your mind we're all human and we've all got kind of the de I know, demands in our time so i think it's also good to always ensure that you try and tell your clients when things aren't going to be delivered on time and to communicate that back as, as quickly as possible to them and i think the last two years have shown how key um, that communication is so i think also the other thing i would say is take on clients you like and think will work well with you and vice versa um, we can't be expected to all get along with everyone in the world and i think I've, i'm definitely guilty of, of saying yes to all business um that comes my way i have a fear of the work drying up and sometimes i've taken on projects and i thought oh gosh um i hope we're not going to run and you know hope this is all going to go smoothly and it, it nine times out of ten it does and it's brilliant but i do sometimes worry that you know that that, that might not be the case and I'd say the last thing um, for any any business owner, really um, creator and product um, provider is be re be really realistic about your logistics. You know, um, my home life is quite demanding. And so I have to be careful about how much time I actually spend traveling. Um, travel time to me, it kind of kills creativity. And that to do list in the back of your mind only grows as you drive further and further away from home. So I think sometimes just be really mindful of what you can actually give in the hours that you need to spend sitting at your desk creating the, the schemes for clients and pulling together their designs because actually that's what matters it doesn't matter that you're chasing a client who's an extra 20 miles down the road if it's not really a project that's going to give you um kind of a spark of enthusiasm and excitement um so i think it's really key just to to think about your logistics and and and, and organize your time effectively Thank you. And absolutely no problem to give more than one piece of advice. They were all really <laughs> valuable. So thank you so much for those. And thank you for being so prepared. Well, I tried. <laughs> I'm getting a real sense of what it must be like to work with you, Chloe. You're obviously very, <laughs> I can tell you're very organised. Well, thank you so much for absolutely everything that you've shared. I've found it fascinating talking to you. And yeah, thank you. My pleasure. It's been lovely talking to you, Vicky. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Cat 
Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate. 